0: A lot of people get this confused because they'll kind of interchange Alzheimer's with dementia. So dementia is an umbrella term. So kind of like how when you say someone has cancer, you don't know what specific kind of cancer. It's very similar with uh, dementia. When you say someone has dementia, all it means is that they have memory loss of some kind, usually progressive.
1: Hey, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Krista, certified dementia practitioner. Krista, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited about this episode. How are you, really?
0: I'm. I'm good. I'm good. I mean, it's a little chaotic uh, because we're in the process of moving, but other than that, you know, uh, good. Moving is. I'm. I
1: don't like change, so for me, moving sounds terrifying and overwhelming (laughs) so I hope it goes better than it would in my head and (laughs) that you get to experience a happy and safe move are you moving out of state or are you just moving locally
0: yeah so um it's yeah it's definitely a lot of change for sure in a very short period of time but you know I'm at early 30s so it seems like that's the the time in which all this happens um yeah, I got married in November and now we are moving from Southern California to Denver, Colorado, so halfway across the country. Yeah, but it's 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 good though. I don't know. I'm less concerned with it because I'm I grew up in Texas. I lived there my entire life and then I moved out here to California by myself. So literally anything else is like no big deal in comparison to to doing that. Uh yeah. Yeah, it was wild. So Uh, yeah change change can be hard and I know we'll probably get into that a little bit in our conversation uh, since that is a pretty common thing with elders so awesome
1: well congratulations on the move (laughs) that is amazing that you moved completely by yourself I hope this move goes very smoothly and I'm again super excited for this conversation so today we're going to talk about dementia so for those who do not know what is dementia
0: So dementia is uh, a lot of people get this confused because they'll kind of interchange alzheimer's with dementia so dementia is an umbrella term so kind of like how when you say someone has cancer you don't know what specific kind of cancer it's very similar with uh, dementia when you say someone has dementia all it means is that they have memory loss of some kind usually progressive so uh, that could mean alzheimer's which is the most common one uh, but it could also mean Lewy body, it could mean uh, frontotemporal, it could mean vascular, uh, it could mean all kinds of different dementias. Uh, and when you say someone has dementia, you're just saying they have progressive memory loss. That's really all you're saying.
1: Okay, so I had heard that it was an umbrella term, and I understood that, but I did not know that there were so many different types. Oh, yeah. So I'm really happy that you shared that. So Do the different types of dementia affect the brain differently?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. You'll have different, uh, a lot of folks will experience different things based off of their diagnosis. So for example, uh, hallucinations are something that can happen when you have dementia due to the physical and chemical changes that are happening in the brain. Uh, But in Alzheimer's patients, for example, that happens to about 20% of people according to the Alzheimer's association versus in the Lewy body, that is a hallmark symptom of the disease. Most people that get Lewy body will experience hallucinations or uh, delusions, which are false beliefs. And a lot of people get those two things confused as well, but we'll, we'll get into that later. (laughs) So
1: with the different types of dementia, is there some that increase memory loss more than others?
0: Um, God, that's that's hard. That's hard to say. Uh, I I would say pr- so. It doesn't matter the diagnosis. It seems like how one progresses uh, is very individual to, to them. I've worked with thousands of folks with dementia with all kinds of different diagnoses, and what you'll see. Like I've heard a lot of um, caregivers talk about, you know, the seven stages of dementia. Most anybody that works in the actual healthcare field hates that because it does seem comforting to feel like you know what's going to happen. But the truth is, it doesn't always happen. I've seen people who are in late stage dementia who can still run around up and down the hallways. I've seen people in middle stages of dementia start to lose their ability to talk. Uh, So it's really a different experience for each person. That's why I prefer when I think of how someone progresses through most dementias. I think of it as early, middle, late stage. So you have some, whatever, what happens to most people when they're in early stages, you have what happens to most people when they're middle stages and then late stages. I think it gives you a much better picture of what will actually happen. Like I've had many uh, caregivers that I've coached say, you know, I'm terrified of hearing all these challenging behaviors that other people are talking about. Like, when's it gonna happen to my mom? I'm like, it may never happen to her. She may never get angry. I've seen some very, very sweet, confused older ladies uh, or gentlemen, and I've seen whew, really angry folks where the family said said before, like, oh, they were wonderful before this. So you just, you just don't know. Uh, that's both the comforting thing and kind of the scary thing at the same time.
1: Thank you so much for clarifying that because, you know, In television, in the media, the way they depict it, which is how most of us understand it and learn it, is that they're going to have complete memory loss. They're not going to remember your name, who you are. They will go through stages where they are very angry and throwing these fits that can be very dangerous. And it always looks the same. Mm -hmm. And it's always like guaranteed that they're going to have no idea who you are half the time. So it's really reassuring to know that it's different for everyone. And just because the media portrays it one way or someone else experienced one way doesn't mean your loved one will, but there are also ways you can prepare for it. And there are ways you can learn to understand challenging behaviors. So I want to switch over to challenging behaviors. What are some of the challenging behaviors that are commonly exhibited by individuals living with dementia?
0: Yeah. So, uh, I guess my background, I worked at a psychiatric hospital where folks would be hospitalized for challenging behaviors. So I probably saw the more extremes of those behaviors. I I worked in the therapy department. So a lot of what I would do was a lot more um, natural, holistic uh, interventions. I worked in the activity therapy department. So what that meant is uh, if the doctor wanted to know uh, how much medication should I prescribe to help uh, mitigate some of these really extreme behaviors. Uh, we'd actually do an assessment ourselves and we would offer our own interventions first so that then he could be like, okay, so this is baseline then. So maybe we'll try this. Uh, I really, really liked my hospital for that reason. It was really great. Not, not everybody does that. So I felt very, uh, privileged to be a part of a system like that, but, uh, the main challenging behaviors I would see are uh, sundowning. So whatever symptoms they had just in general would increase as the day went on. That's what sundowning refers to. Uh, the biggest one where I think this is hilarious because it's like a, what I find almost a universal experience of dementia that many caregivers think that this is just a weird thing my loved one's doing. I'm like, no, no, they're all doing this uh, is they asked to go home. This is a, big one that almost everybody I talked to uh, who were in like middle to later stage dementia would uh, ask about. I'll get more into that later. Uh, And I saw a lot of anger, mostly just because of the setting I worked at. Uh, But again, even in the setting I worked at, not everybody, not everybody gets super angry. Uh, That's not just that's just not how everybody reacts to to memory loss or uh, them declining and their physical and mental abilities. Not everybody reacts that way. Uh, So the we did see a lot of folks that did react that way, though, and that's why they were hospitalized. So I'd say those are like the top three challenging behaviors I would see Uh, sundowning. I want to go home anger.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that, because again, we don't learn a lot about this. We don't hear a lot about it. And we kind of find go into it blind when we have a loved one who is living with dementia. So I was wondering if we could break down each of these three challenging behaviors that you shared and talk about how caregivers can approach these behaviors. So starting with sundown.
0: Yeah. So sundowning, when I think of sundowning, I think of it having folks having a lot of nervous energy, a lot of anxious energy that can turn into them being irritable them being angry. Uh, it, it's just increased confusion. That's mostly what it is. So I found that having a good activity that would channel a lot of that nervous energy was great. So them helping me out and the garden, this giant garden they had in the back of the hospital, that was really cool that we even had that, uh, Them, I'd say more more than anything. I think a lot of folks, when they see the decline of abilities, they think, "Oh, children's activities like uh, coloring, crosswords." And there's nothing wrong with that stuff. But I found what tend to work better to stave off sundowning was asking them, "Hey, could you show me how to do this? Could you help me with with X? Could you put this together for me?" Like it's all these things that I knew they could still do. But they uh, they were still being treated like adults. Uh, That's the biggest thing. So I and it helps it helps sundowning because the more you can mimic how their life was before dementia or wherever they think they are in space and time, like as they progress and as the short term memories go, uh, they could think that they are you know have young kids and are in their thirties, or they could believe their children themselves and they need to get to mom and dad. So whatever activities are most consistent with where they think they are in time and space uh, is going to do the most to make them feel secure and safe. And like, they know what they're doing. I mean, a lot of sundowning is due to boredom. They'll pace back and forth. They'll you know try to pull on doors to try to get out, to like get to their jobs, get to their kids you know, get to their, get to their lives. I mean, I, you know, if I, I think about it this way, if I was pulled out of the life I'm living now and dropped into a hospital or dropped into long-term living and told, this is your home now, you can't leave. That'd be terrifying, terrifying. So it, as much as you possibly can, really simplify things they would have done before dementia or simplify things that are adult tasks adult chores adult activities into ways they could be successful that's the best way to stave off sundowning uh so i'd say that's sundowning uh with uh i want to go home it's a lot the it's it's very it's very similar so a lot of folks, they get confused and when they hear their loved ones say, I want to go home, they think a physical place. So you'll have older ladies say this in the home that they've lived in for 40 years. And they'll be like, this is your home though. Or they'll say that, you know, in their new nursing home and they're like, this is your new home now. <laughs> that's terrifying. If you have no clue, <laughs> that's what's going on. You're like, who is this scary person? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, they don't actually mean a physical place though. It's them expressing that they're uncomfortable. Like, I want to go home might as well mean I feel uncomfortable here. Like, I feel uncomfortable because I don't recognize anything. I don't recognize anybody. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. So I want to go to a place where I know what's happening, where I'm in control of things. That's what they really mean by I want to go home. So the best way you can do that is, you know, you... Like with sundowning, you recreate as much as you can. You, like, I, I've seen people put in like different furniture pieces that would have looked like where they think they are in time, time and space uh, to help bring that familiarity for them. So the way that you figure out, I want to go home, like what they actually are getting out, what the need is underneath, I want to go home, is you ask them, what do you need at home? And it may be a nap that they need. I think for one lady, one story, um, somebody told after, like one caregiver told after she had seen my YouTube video on this is her mom kept on asking to go home to get her slippers. And they eventually found out that uh, she was asking for slippers because she equated, I guess, home and slippers and robe with being comfortable. And her toenail was like digging into her foot. And no one had noticed. So she was trying to tell them, hey, uh, my my toenail <laughs> is sticking into my foot. Uh, but instead, all she could say is, I want to go home. If I could get my slippers, my feet will feel better. Uh, so it could be as simple as that. It could just be like, you know, I my kids should be here or I should be cooking dinner for my family or I should be going to work. Uh, all that type of stuff, so as much as you can provide them with uh with with purpose, provide them with things that resemble where they think they are in time and space as much as possible that's one of the best ways to help them uh, feel like they're at home without maybe being at home uh, let's see last one was anger. A lot of that is uh our folks respond to our facial expressions and our body language way more than we think they would. And the reason being is that they look to us to know how they should respond to things, or they look to us to know how they should react. So if you're super frustrated with them, like you'll notice if you're just like, oh my God, grandma or something like that, you'll notice it's like, it's not my fault. Like you'll just see them ah, like the tension rise and responding to you. Uh, so I've noticed a lot of anger happens with them just responding to you. Uh, a lot of anger just could happen because, you know, they've, they've forgotten something that they used to be able to know how to do. That's frustrating. Uh, so the best way to, to do that or to deal with that is I'll ask them, like, I first want to stay six feet away. I want to stay away. We called it striking distance <laughs> stay, So get away from striking distance. Uh, maybe stands to them like a little bit on the side. Like if you're standing straight onto them, it's really, um, confronting looking to them and you stay with a very calm voice. Like, do you want help or do you want to be left alone? And they'll usually be able to tell you one of those things. And if not, sometimes if they're just screaming bloody murder, I'm like, they're not going to be able to hear what I'm telling them anyways, right now. Like some people's reaction will be like, I just need to be firm and tough, like tough parent. And it's like, they're not kids. First off, it doesn't even work with kids also. So I don't know why people think that that's going to be the thing I found. What works better is you just, uh, you know, sit close by or you leave the room. If it's safe for you to do that until they calm down, then you come back when they're a little bit more calm and not fight or flighty. And then you, you get into their world you figure out, okay, uh, what is it that you need? What is the unmet need that is triggering uh, all these overwhelmed emotions? So that's oftentimes really all it is. For some people it could be uh, something that requires medical intervention, but you know, that was never my wheelhouse was, was the medical intervention, but I tell people if they think that's what's right for their folks, to talk to a psychiatrist or a doctor that has experience with folks, uh, with dementia. But anyways, that's what, that's what I found work with, uh, with sundowning with, I want to go home and with anger.
1: That is so much valuable information. And you brought up so many great points. One of them really being is within their time and space where they think they are, because you can't if someone thinks that it's 20 years in the past and you are trying to explain to them that they're 80 years old, 90 years old, and they need to be doing kid activities, you're not really helping them. And it's so true that a lot of times we see, because we're kind of taught that it's just reverting back into a child. I've noticed that those are the words we tend to use. So we think, oh, kid activities, telling them to color. And they may not want to be treated like a kid. They may want to be treated like the adult that they are and still feel respected. I have a loved one who's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And one thing that I've noticed is she doesn't want to lose her freedom. Mm. So all the time it's learning to give her exercises and give her things to do that helps encourage that freedom, but within the bounds of what she can do safely. So I really love how you brought that piece up. Also, the familiarity. In my case, the person I'm speaking about has lost so many people. Mm. So there's not a lot of familiarity. Living in a different place or going back and forth between places has been very challenging for her. So something that we could do is focus on bringing in pieces that remind her of kind of that life that she feels comfortable with. So I really appreciate you bringing that up because that also taught me a lot. And then lastly, with the anger, it is so true. We tend to get frustrated. I am so guilty of it. When someone is maybe asking you to repeat something multiple times or they forgot something that you just don't realize, like how do you forget this? Or they behave in a way that you just don't understand or you get frustrated with. It is so easy to get frustrated and respond with frustration or for your facial expression to change right or for your body yeah. language you kind of pull back cross your arms or tighten your fist that's what i'm known for is when i want to re- calm down i tighten my fist mm-hmm. and that's still alerting the person that i'm frustrated and they do tend to get upset tend to yell and then i want to yell back so recognizing that we can first of all stay that safe distance because it makes them feel safe and makes us feel safe and being able to support them or allow them to get that frustration out, get my own frustration out in a separate room, and then continue a conversation when the time is right. So you brought up so many amazing points. And now speaking of that, I want to switch over to the common frustrations that caregivers may experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know you mentioned a few of them, like uh, repeating. uh, Oh, man. Yeah, just Just so, so many. I mean, so much of that, uh, I think of it this way. Your patience as a caregiver is like a battery. It's not like uh, some people have it, some people don't. Uh, I mean, it's something that can be practiced, but ultimately there's only so long. (laughs) You could listen to someone scream, for example, and not just lose it yourself. So I think of in terms of responding to things as like, is this, is this, is this worth my energy? <laughs> is this worth it? A good example is let's just say hypothetically uh, your loved one or your client had uh Lewy body dementia and they're seeing a hallucination of like the dead family dog in the corner or something like that. And they're just, you know, gently talking to it like interacting with the hallucination. And you're just, a lot of people would react by saying like, nothing's there and who knows what that would pop- crop up. But the question I would ask is Do you need to interfere? (laughs) Like she's not, she's not a safety risk. She's not bothering anybody else. Uh, She seems, she doesn't seem to stress. She's not asking you to intervene in that. It's like, do you really need to? Uh, So that's one question to ask and uh, something that can really help with their independence as well. I think a lot of caregivers really create more stress for themselves and their loved ones by uh, trying to intervene too often just because maybe the behavior looks weird Uh, you know, like I said, as long as it's not hurting anybody or themselves or a safety risk or a health risk, it's like, let it go, man. Just let them, let them do, let them make some choices themselves. Like they're, they're adults. Like I've had some people just get some caregivers get so stressed about like, oh my God, I can't get mom to sit down for dinner. Like she just won't ever sit. It's like, have you ever considered just, I don't know having bowls of snacks around for her to just grab or it's like, have you considered just, I don't know, letting her eat on the couch. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's interesting. Cause there's so many things that like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that caregivers are creating this themselves, obviously the diseases, but there's so many things that could be let go of uh, that would make their life and your life. a, a lot easier. And that can be hard. That that can be, especially if they're living in your home with you, that could be really hard to let go of that control. And, you know, likewise, it's really hard. I, I can imagine it's the same with your loved one. It's so hard for her to let go of that control, that independence, that autonomy, that life that she has always known. That's so difficult. Uh man, a great tip that I gave one of my clients pretty recently, too, is I'll say, you know, if you are asking her to help you cook dinner, help you clean, or whatever, chances are she thinks this is your house and that she's a guest at your house. No wonder she's asking you if she could go home, because it's like she's perpetually a house guest. But instead, maybe you could say to her, "Hey, you asked me like an hour or two ago if I could help you with with dinner. Should like, do you want me to uh, chop vegetables or to take this out first? Like, important thing when you're." Putting them in the driver's seat is you want to feed them the answers so they're not having to pop the answers out of nowhere like you're you're able to be like hey uh is it okay if i do x and all they have to answer is yes and they're suddenly in the driver's seat like it's their meal like it's it's their activity uh so it gives back that autonomy it gives back uh that independence and them feeling like yeah i'm in control of my own life like you're facilitating that for them. You're making it possible for them to be able to live as much life as they had known it, as much as what's safe and what's possible for you guys. And it's just, it's so simple. It's just sometimes how you approach it. That is
1: such great advice. It is so true. We tend to respond out of fear, honestly, when someone is exhibiting behaviors that are different than how they used to behave or that seem out of the norm. So recognizing that you don't always have to interfere, definitely questioning the safety. If they are safe, you're 100% right. If they are safe and it's not hurting them, it's not hurting anyone, you don't necessarily have to intervene. And then I really love how you brought up putting them in the driver's seat, allowing them to feel like they're still in charge because it has to be terrifying for them too to recognize that. I'm not remembering and people are getting frustrated with me and what is wrong, or I'm not able to do what I used to do. Why can't I do it? But setting them up to be able to help them and support them without them knowing that you're trying to do everything from them, allowing them to feel like they still have the freedom and the autonomy and the ability to do what they used to do. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. And to add to that, what are three things that you believe every caregiver should know?
0: Yeah, so I guess the first one for them to know is that you're not alone. I I mean I know this mostly because I run a giant free Facebook group, and that like I I get like a hundred new caregivers a week coming into to this group. So um, you guys are far from alone. (laughs) That's the biggest one. It blows my mind just everywhere I go uh, when I tell folks what I do. You know that I run a dementia caregiver membership it almost everyone's response is my loved one has dementia, they had dementia, or I know somebody. So it is so pervasive. So to think that you are the only one that's dealing with this is so far from the truth. It's not even funny. So that's the first one. Uh, Second one is that kind of like when we were talking about, like different subtle ways that you can uh, support your loved one in living as independently and as with as much autonomy as possible. It doesn't, activities don't have to be complicated. A lot of caregivers get super stressed out with having to come up with all this stuff. I mean, even having them help you with something that you're already doing and again, framing it as if it's something that they would have been doing. It's like, you know, mom, you asked me to, to fold the towels earlier but I don't know if I could do this all all by myself like I know it's annoying but c- could you help me uh like that's again it's framing it like oh God, my daughter she just never finishes things she starts I gotta come in and save her <laughs> that type of thing but it's it's the little things that really give that them back their their power their uh their confidence. Like I could imagine, if I could just not do anything by myself ever again, just how confidence-shattering that would be. Uh, and and that's a lot of our folks' experience. Uh, so it doesn't have to be super complicated. It's just taking. It's just breaking apart any task into the steps and thinking, okay, mom may not be able to do the dishes from start to finish by herself, but she could uh, put something away. Who cares if it's perfect? I'll come back later when she's not looking. At me in the right place, but whatever. Uh, or, you know, mom could, could dry it or even with, you know, cooking a meal. And it's like, you know, or I don't know, some, some fun thing I'll say if I've, you know, done some type of like baking or putting together something activity with my folks is, uh, you know, I, I don't know why I can never just get this done, done myself. I'm really glad that you're here to show me how it's done or some, something like that like it, it doesn't matter <laughs> uh it, any little thing it's like i'm glad you could, you could show me how, really how to wipe down a table like you're good you're really good at that like these are all very little things that honestly again don't take a ton of planning don't take a ton of effort but are life-giving to our folks uh so that's the second one activities don't have to be hard just break it down into little steps and just give them that step uh and I think the third thing all caregivers should know is, uh, they can't care give by themselves, uh, setting up local support, online support, and seeing how much it's possible to outsource is so important. There's government programs that you can get paid to be a caregiver, depending on what state you live. That's pretty cool. Uh, there's adult daycare centers that can be really great for caregivers to get a little bit of a break, uh, as well as so many caregivers get so caught up in the drama of, not to minimize their experience, by the way, but the drama of the, of the the sibling that should be helping me. They never have, they've never done anything. I'm by myself in this. They left me with all this stuff. And, you know, granted they're a hundred percent, right. I've made a joke. Like if oldest daughters could just take over everything, like the world would run a lot more efficiently. <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, but what, you, what that blinds a lot of folks to is that chances are you have at least one person, whether they live locally or far away, that wants to help but doesn't know how. And they could help with something super little. Like one of my members, uh, she lives, an, I think, a two-hour round trip from the grocery store. She lives in a remote part of Montana. She asked her neighbor even, hey, do you think when you take the trip to the grocery store that you could pick up my groceries while you're there? It's just hard for me to get out with my loved one being at home. And oh my God, that person was so excited to be able to help her in a way that honestly, she was gonna go to the grocery store anyway. So just gave her the money, gave her the list and just, she did it. She got two hours back of her life every week. Like it could be that, uh, that little. So I think once they see, like, honestly, how excited, you know, some maybe distance friends, distance family are to take on a little, a little thing that gives them the confidence to, you know, ask more people, take more things off the plate, uh, to outsource more things. It makes a world of a difference because you could tell people, oh, self-care is important all day long, but I'll tell you what, if your person is screaming next to you or constantly on the verge of falling nonstop, good luck. (laughs) good luck uh doing that so uh yeah the main things is like you're not alone this is affecting millions of people like it's ridiculous how not alone you are uh activities don't be don't have to be nearly as hard as a lot of the listicles online make them be and uh, more people in your life want to help you like don't let the one who Uh, not, not use language. Don't let the crappy person in your life stop you from seeing the good people that are in your life that want to help. So I'd say those would be the three things.
1: Those are amazing things to know. I think it feels very isolating, first of all, when you have a loved one with dementia because it's not really talked about enough. So I love that you also have a Facebook support group that not only talks about it, but lets people know that they're not alone and allows people to talk about it together, to ask each other questions, to learn. I think that's just absolutely amazing that you do that. Secondly, the activities, like you've said before, those activities do not have to be complicated, but they don't have to be like a child either. Giving them yeah. something, setting them up with answers, like you said, which one do you want me to do instead of making them come up with it? I know for my loved one, when we go out to dinner, I always give them a choice of two or three food options because menus are so big, they're overwhelming. And I'm like, you know what? I bet you would really like this one. Or you've had these before and you loved them. Which one are you feeling tonight? Or I'm thinking of having this one. and But another one I really like is that one. Which one do you think would be better? Kind of just setting it up so that there's not 100 items on a menu that they have to figure out, breaking it down for them. And then lastly, knowing you can't do it alone. That was something that I'm really learning because I'm that person who likes to step up and be in control and take over everything. But I've been so lucky to have loved ones who've taken the responsibility of going to the doctors or organizing the medication or taking a few nights a week, taking her a few nights a week. So being able to split it up and do it together instead of just trying to do it all myself has been so helpful. So those are three amazing things that everyone should know. And then lastly, let's wrap it up with what are three action items for a caregiver to someone living with dementia to protect their mental health?
0: Yeah, so uh, kind of like what we mentioned mentioned before, uh, main thing knows you're not a burden on the people in your life for reaching out for help. If anything, you are denying the people in your life uh the ability to really know you and your experience and when people are able to know you and know your experience they really know know you and we all crave intimacy and connection with each other so uh just know you're not a burden on on other folks they chances are they probably want to help they just don't they just don't know how uh and it may not be i don't know them like watching your loved one for an afternoon or anything like that but it could be them doing the research so that you find like the cheapest best option to find somebody to hire somebody that will, you know, you just never know. So I'd say that's that's definitely the first one. Uh, let's see, what else do we want them to know? Uh, I'd say just you know based off of what we've been talking about it's not a guarantee your loved one will, will have any number of challenging behaviors, but if they do, it's okay. You're not doing anything wrong. It's just the disease, man. It, it it just is like, there are things you can do that make it less bad, but I mean, no matter how you cut it, it's hard. It's really, really hard, uh, to take this on and to, I don't know, be that person, but you know, you're the person that stepped up that's something to be really proud of that you are the kind of person that steps up when things get hard. Because I can't tell you how many people have stories of family members or uh, healthcare professionals that didn't. Uh, So that's the second thing. Uh, Third thing uh, caregivers should know is that they have a lot more influence on how the day-to-day goes than they think they do. Oh man, it's... Like I said, just how you approach things, how you set things up, uh, even how you set up the, their environment around them makes a huge difference and how comfortable they'll feel or how confused they'll be, uh, how often they'll, they'll get angry or frustrated or, or whatever. Um, so you have a lot more control than you necessarily think you do. So those would those would be the three things I would say.
1: Krista, you have provided us so much useful information, so much helpful information that, it's just so hard to find and access. So I really appreciate you and all of the work you do to bring this information to light. So how can our listeners connect with you?
0: Yeah. So I have a a Facebook, I have a website, a Facebook page, YouTube channel. Obviously I have the free Facebook group. Uh, And if anybody out there wants to join a membership for caregivers, folks that are dealing with a lot of challenging behaviors that want more holistic solutions uh, to it that aren't just, you know, throwing some medication at them, then they'd be really interested in my membership, Dementia Care Getting Made Easy. I think the next time we're opening it up will be in uh, May, I think. We don't open it up a ton because we want cohesive classes of people having experiences together. Uh, so yeah, I have a bunch of freeways and then I have one very affordable, low cost way. Like if you can afford Netflix, you can afford this membership. Uh, so anyways, those, those are where you can find me. What is your website link? Yeah. Uh, you can find me at, uh, dementia success Thank you so much
1: again for joining me today I learned so much from you and I'm sure all of our listeners did too you are absolutely amazing to be providing this information and resources to caregivers as well as being that supportive person for individuals living with dementia you are absolutely awesome and thank you so much
0: oh thank you